Well, this weekend was sure a hot mess. Packers lose, Badgers lose, Brewers lose. We'll talk about it all coming up on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Powered by Sewer Ninja's No Dig Sewer Repair and presented by ERA, My Pro Realty in Brookfield. Let's go. Instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, powered by Sewer Ninja's No Dig Sewer Repair and presented by ERA, My Pro Realty in Brookfield. Let's go. Welcome in. This is the 414 Sports Podcast, powered by Sewer Ninjas, No Dig Sewer Repair, and presented by ERA, My Pro Realty in Brookfield. I'm Don Wachillis. Thanks for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Appreciate you taking some time to listen to our podcast here as we cover a weekend that was absolutely brutal. If you were a fan of any of our teams here in southeastern Wisconsin or any part of the state for that matter, whether we're talking Packers, uh, Badgers, Brewers, you name it, it was it was just a brutal weekend. Before we get into that, want to thank our sponsor, that being Sewer Ninjas No Dig Sewer Repair. They are dedicated to solving sewer issues with the latest No Dig Sewer Repair technology to minimize cost and disruption to you, the consumer. Sewer Ninja utilizes new technology that can repair the sewer system without having to dig up the existing lateral, saving you thousands, plus in turn providing you with a lifetime of protection. Their sewer relining experts are here to help. Sewer Ninjas is a locally family-owned business that takes pride in every job, large or small, when you need help. Turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give Sewer Ninjas a call at 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. And don't forget to tell them the 414 Sports Podcast sent you. So as we start today, we have to begin with the Packers. And the Packers looked like a team that had been resting and not really ready to play. The execution wasn't there. The effort at times looked not quite up to par. They looked lackadaisical. They looked like a team that was going through the motions as opposed to a team that was ready to play football like the Minnesota Vikings were. And it was eerily similar to what we saw last year when the Packers played the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints ran from one end of the field to the other, and the Packers did not have an answer. The same thing could be said yesterday late afternoon as the Minnesota Vikings seemingly did what they wanted to when they wanted to against a team that had no answer both on the offensive or defensive sides of the ball. One element of it was the fact that Justin Jefferson went where he wanted to go 
when he wanted to do it as an offensive receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, getting a career-high 184 yards in receptions. And the Packers just could not figure out a way to slow him down. Now, Jair Alexander, at times, people were wondering why he wasn't matched up one-on-one with him. It was actually explained in the broadcast why they were zoning the way they were defensively, especially in the secondary, because the Vikings were doing a really good job of putting Justin Jefferson in motion pre-snap, which was creating a bit of a mismatch at times for the Packers defensively. You saw yesterday at times linebackers trying to cover Justin Jefferson, which is is just an absolute mismatch. And the Vikings were able to take complete advantage of it. There's no other way to look at it. It made Kirk Cousins, who is a good quarterback, let's face it, Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, but is Kirk Cousins headed to the Hall of Fame? Nah, I don't think so. I don't think Kirk Cousins headed to the Hall of Fame, but he sure looked like it against the Packers. Going into half, if my numbers are correct, Kirk Cousins was like a 109, a 118 with his quarterback rating, and Aaron Rodgers was 39 point whatever and change. That tells you the story right there. The offense, though, yes, it will take some time to get going, and yes, there were mistakes made, but they didn't look like they knew what to do, where to go, how to do it, And this, to me, all then harkens back to preseason. Aaron Rodgers even mentioned it in his postgame presser that they wish they would have won the game because now people like me wouldn't be talking about the preseason. But it was evident that they weren't ready. And the only way that other teams seemingly get ready is by doing something in the preseason. And so I don't know where the answer lies. I don't know how you turn up the pressure on a group of professionals to get them set and ready to go for what the pace and the intensity will be right off the bat in week one. But something has got to change if we're worried about week one now. Now, we may find ourselves five, six, seven weeks from now not even worried about week one. We could see a Packer team that, who knows, six and one at week seven. That, that could very well be. We put a lot of emphasis in week one. Why? Because we're excited we know NFL football has has been dropped upon us again for another season. We want our team to do well. And when we watch a game like we did yesterday, it was a giant egg for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers score only one touchdown, and it was a run by A.J. Dillon. Let's listen to that score because that's the only one we got. This is courtesy of Fox Sports. Dillon. Steamrolling people all the way in for the touchdown. And the Packers are on the board. You know, it's amazing what one drive can do just for the energy of the team. And at that moment, it did do something for the team. You saw a little rejuvenation going on with the Green Bay Packers, but it wasn't enough as they fall to the Minnesota Vikings and now have to take on a Chicago Bears team that got a surprising win against the San Francisco 49ers yesterday at home. So now you've got a 1-0 team playing an 0-1 team. And I think if any of us would have thought 
how those records would have been matched up next to the teams getting ready to play each other at Lambeau. We would have had it completely reversed, but that's not the case. So hopefully the Packers will find their way back to Green Bay, obviously going through practice and making the corrections necessary to get them ready. The offensive line's got to play better. Aaron Rodgers has to play better. He he made some mistakes uh, in yesterday's game where he held on to the ball too long. That interception was completely on him. So we know that he's dealing with a very, very young receiving core outside of Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins. And yet Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins in yesterday's game only combined for 32 yards on five catches. So you got to figure out a way to get them involved. you got to figure out a way to get Aaron Rodgers comfortable with at least his veterans before you ask him to branch out and feel comfortable with his rookies. So there's a lot of work to be done as the Packers will take on the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field next Sunday night. They'll be the NBC uh, game of the week, so to speak, on Sunday night. And so hopefully it'll be a good week of practice going up against a team now that got a big boost of confidence by beating the 49ers at home, that they're going to be riding high coming in. This may not be the same Chicago Bears team that we thought on paper, and yet it's still only week one. So I'm trying to temper my uh, frustration when it comes to the Green Bay Packers because, again, it's only one game. So for everybody who wanted everybody fired after this weekend because, like we said, it was a rough weekend around here between the Packers and the Badgers and the Brewers and Social media was red hot with wanting everybody on the unemployment line. Hopefully now week one is in the books. Learn from their mistakes, and let's see what happens after week two. Now, if we see the same things after week two, now we can start revving up the, uh, oh, this could be an ugly season kind of a kind of a conversation, shall we say. But it's week one. We'll take a deep breath, a little meditation, a little calm. And we'll see what happens up against Chicago Bears. With that, let's turn our attention to another team that struggled this weekend. And that was our Wisconsin Badgers. And we'll cover the Badgers in just a sec. All right, before we get into talking about the Wisconsin Badgers, let's once again thank our presenting sponsor, and that's ERA, My Pro Realty in Brookfield. ERA, My Pro Realty, is a full-service real estate solutions company intent on reinventing the home buying and selling process. While they do offer traditional real estate services, their holistic approach allows them to offer more than just one-size-fits-all listing solutions for selling your Metro Milwaukee area property? Give Greg Ulvog and his team a call, 414-467-1030. Once again, that's 414-467-1030. So the Wisconsin, I, I was more, I found myself more upset with the Badgers than I did the Packers. For some reason, Going into week one with Green Bay, I, I kind of imagined what occurred last year against the Saints was going to happen again. What makes it a little tougher, however, as I was saying, it's a division opponent. 
But with the Badgers, I expected the Badgers to at least be 3-0 and heading into that Ohio State game, and that wasn't the case. Now, there were a couple of things that happened on what was a zany Saturday in college football that helped. I keep looking at it to take the bite off of what was that Badger loss to Washington State. So number one, I keep looking at the fact that Marshall beat Notre Dame 26-21, to and I look at the fact that Appalachian State beat the number six team in the country, Texas A&M, 17-14. Now, if you're Notre Dame and you're Texas A&M, these losses to Appalachian State and Marshall just erased you from what is the current college football playoff system. It's done. If you're Texas A&M, you had all this hype going into this season with the recruiting class. Remember the feud with Alabama during the offseason, everything that took place, and you went ahead and lost to Appalachian State. And congratulations to Appalachian State. That's a team that finds themselves on some opponent's schedules throughout the next few years and the past few years in which they roll into a Texas A&M or playing North Carolina. They play some big-time Division I opponents as part of their non-conference schedule, and they don't always win, but they do equate into one entertaining football game, and come Saturday, they again beat Texas A&M 17-14. So I've been using that as my precursor into talking about the Wisconsin Badgers because what took place on Saturday was just absolutely stunning. Now, there was one instance to smile about or one individual necessarily that we could talk about and smile about, and that's Clay Cundis. Uh, Two touchdowns. This is his second one. This, again, courtesy of Fox Sports. Allen at the bottom, and now they finally do swim somebody over that way. It's time to make This afternoon. So that was Clay Cundiff's second touchdown, and yet it would be a fumble by Cundiff towards the end of the game as he approached the red zone that really sealed the deal for Washington State, coming away with that 17-14 victory against, at the time, number 19, Wisconsin. Now, after the loss, the Badgers have fallen out of the AP Top 25, and yet, when you look at some of the numbers, it's almost mind-boggling that the Badgers came away on the losing end of things. The Badgers outgained Washington State 401 to 253. The Badgers had the ball for 38 minutes as far as the game clock goes. And according to sports reference, the Badgers, for the first time, since 2000, gained at least 400 yards, allowed fewer than 300 yards, and lost. Prior to Saturday, Wisconsin had been 78-0 in games in which they again had gained at least 400 yards and allowed fewer than 300. So the stats all point in favor, theoretically, of the Badgers coming away with a victory. And yet again, we're looking at a football team that made a ton of mistakes. Penalties. 
11 penalties for 106 yards. Completely uncharacteristic of Wisconsin, but we saw it a ton on Saturday. We saw fumbles. We saw at times when they would make a nice gain, have a really great route run, and Graham Mertz is hitting his receivers only to have everything called back due to penalties. Penalties absolutely killed the Wisconsin Badgers against Washington State. Now, don't take anything away from Washington State. I think Washington State, with this fast-paced, high-tempo offense that they run, could be a player in the Pac-12 this year. But the Pac-12, from top to bottom, maybe USC this year, but I'm almost already considering USC a part of the Big Ten. So maybe outside of USC and UCLA, who really in the Pac-12 puts any sort of fear into anyone nationally? There are some good teams. I think Washington State's a good team. But I don't think they were worthy of coming into Madison and knocking off at the time the number 19 team in the country. The hard part about this is, I guess going into the game, you still have in the back of your mind hopes and dreams about making the college playoffs. And looking at the schedule, with Ohio State on the schedule, and you have to play them in the horseshoe and playing the way you did on Saturday, that's a loss number two. You have the ability at points within the schedule this year to kind of run the table and go on long stretches and put some winning streaks together and still find yourself playing for the Big Ten Championship. But this loss to Washington State has erased any chance of you even contemplating a look at what the college playoff scenario currently stands at. Now, with the expansion that is hopefully coming sooner than later, most now believe that they want to push uh, the expansion to 12 by 2024, you would still have a little bit of hope. But in its current state, there is no chance on heaven's green earth that this Badger team has a chance to make it to the playoffs. So what are we looking at, the Mayo Bowl again? That This is what makes it infuriating with the way the current system is and the way the which this team played. Now, Braylon Allen had 98 yards. It's the first time, I think, in 13 consecutive games he hasn't gone over 100. There are a lot of schools that would love to have a running back that went for 98 yards, and yet we look at Braylon Allen and say that that necessarily doesn't set up, lead up, make the expectations of what we hope to see from our running backs. The offensive line as it is right now at this moment is not up to speed, and we had really hoped that the offensive line would regain its dominance like we've seen in years past. We knew last year was a hot mess. They were trying different combinations. They had a new theory about rotating guys in and out and it lacked consistency and they kind of went back to their old methods towards the end of the year and it seemingly got some traction and began to work a little bit. So we hope that going into this season we would see better play from the offensive line, and yet that wasn't the case. Graham Mertz was okay okay yesterday. It was Saturday. Okay on Saturday, but is he he burning Madison down, so to speak, with his play? The Washington State Cougars loaded the box. They were just going to stop Braylon Allen, and that's what these teams are going to do. 
they are just going to set themselves up to stop Braylon Allen. They're going to put eight in the box. They're going to outnumber that offensive line and free some people up so that they can get in the backfield or have extra tacklers up on the offensive line to stop him at the first level and not allow Braylon Allen to get to the second level. When Braylon Allen gets to the second level, that's where he's dangerous. And that goes for any good running back in college or pro football. So what does that mean? That means Graham Mertz has to be better. The offensive scheme has to be better. The receiving core has to do a better job in getting separation so Mertz has someone to throw to. We're falling back into the same old, same old when it comes to the Wisconsin Badgers in that teams are going to, as I just got done saying, repeatedly put extra people in the box and force you to somehow throw the football. And whether that's a change schematically or just now trusting that Graham Mertz in this year as it stands right now is a make-or-break year for him, just let him go. Turn it loose. Let's see what happens. But something has got to change if the Badgers are going to take that next step. And if they continue to play like we saw the slow start against Illinois State and the way we saw them play at home against Washington State, my fear is when they go to the horseshoe, that could turn out to be a bloodbath. So the Badgers at home again one more time before the Big Ten season begins again against Ohio State. And let's hope that what we see is a much better performance, one that looks a little bit crisper, one that looks like they've got their swagger back. I keep waiting for the Badgers to get their swagger back, and they really haven't had that swag, so to speak, for now a year plus. So let's see what happens on Saturday because two weeks from now, we'll already be talking about what happened in the horseshoe against Ohio State. And I'm hoping that we're not talking about a bloodbath with the Badgers going into Ohio State in two weeks on this Monday. With that, we'll take another quick break when we come back. We'll talk baseball. I want to talk about the Brewers. I want to talk about the Brewers. The marathon that I was hanging on to the marathon that I wanted to stay relaxed through the season, enjoy the season, knowing that there was going to be the ups and downs. I did not imagine the Brewers absolutely falling off the face of the earth down the stretch when they should be the dominant team in the NL Central, and now they lose yesterday to the Reds. I'm just, yeah, I got to take a break from our beloved Milwaukee Brewers. But instead, what I want to talk about is some of the rule changes that MLB is ready to implement for next season and the overreaction by the purists when it comes to baseball with regards to those rule changes, it's getting to the point of almost it being humorous. We'll talk about it in just a moment. changes going into next season that Major League Baseball has already spoken about 
and it's got some people already losing their minds. What I love about baseball, like I think a lot of people do, is that you can look at baseball today and watch a film of a game from 1935, and baseball is still baseball. There have been some evolutions, obviously, as time has gone on, but unlike watching, let's say, football or basketball, baseball still looks like baseball. So purists really hang on to that. And so when changes are made, the immediate reaction is to just lose your mind. And so we're going to see next year the shift being banned. So in other words, not looking at seven players on one side of the field because on the spray chart, that's where this hitter consistently goes, that we're going to just have to play essentially fundamental normal defense. We're going to see the bases increase in size a little bit, which should help prevent injury. And we're going to see a pitch clock. Now, if you go back roughly, what, 30 years? A Major League Baseball game would roughly go about two hours and 30 minutes. Today, Major League Baseball averages somewhere around that 305 to 310 area. Baseball is getting too long, and it's getting too long, quite honestly, because of television. The fact that we're waiting in between innings, in between halves of innings, so that television can get their advertising dollars with commercials shown before we get back to the game. But the game itself has slowed down to a pace in which it's not necessarily intriguing today's youth. In any sport, whether it's football, baseball, soccer, you name the sport, those sports rely on the youth of America, around the world, playing, loving, and watching so that when they become adults, they're still intrigued by it. Baseball is losing that. And so, of course, we see people, once baseball announced that they were going to implement these changes, immediately go bananas. This is going to ruin the game. These are the same people last year when National League implemented the designated hitter that said, we're going to lose, this is it, this is the end of baseball, we're losing the double switch, we're losing what managers will do down the stretch as far as uh, pitching changes and who will pinch hit and everything else. And have you heard anyone talk about the designated hitter ruining the National League? I, I, don't, I don't think it's even noticeable to the average fan anymore that there's a designated hitter as opposed to the pitcher hitting. So the fact that Major League Baseball is trying after all this time to implement some changes that may help, let those purists have their moment, let them lose their minds, because by next year, once that pitch clock is in play and after a week we get into the normalcy of what these new rules make of, our national pastime, all of this will subside. So with that, let's wrap things up for this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast. Once again, our thanks to our sponsor, Sewer Ninja's No Dig Sewer Repair. If you're looking for some help with your residential uh, sewer line, give them a call, 414-250-8605. 
And if you're looking to buy or sell a home, give ERA My Pro Realty in Brookfield a holler, 414-467-1030. On that, we'll be back a little bit later in the week, and hopefully the optimism will be there as we start to look ahead as to the Badgers and the Packers and what their opponents look like next week and how we hope they've made the adjustments necessary and we might have a sound bite or two that might elevate our spirits and get us ready for game day next weekend. But we'll talk to you a little bit later this week. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much again for joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, or Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Take care and know another. We'll talk to you soon.